thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is control. Be reasonable. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Citizens, civs, captains, and commanders, you've tuned to the guard frequency, and as all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 121 of the Best Damn Space Sim Podcast Ever, and was recorded on Friday, May 20th, and made available for download Tuesday, May 24th, over at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Lennon. And I'm Tony. Well, what have we got this week, Tony? this week we're bringing you a different kind of show. We're going to be skipping our Squawk Box and Flight Deck segments and, uh, uh, you know, I really think I need a British voice to announce this. Lennon? Right. Well, um, each week in the intro, Control asks you to keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. And we really mean it this time. This week we're interviewing probably the most infamous member of the Star Citizen community, Derek Smart. No, this is not a drill, nor a sketch, and it's really, really good. Trust me. Firstly, I have a British accent, and secondly, I was there. And then finally, we will tune into the feedback loop and let you all in on the conversation. Well, that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what happened when Guard Frequency met Derek Smart. Authenticate identity with recognition codes immediately. I am a cipher, a cipher wrapped in an enigma, smothered in secret sauce. Joining us this week is someone who no doubt every member of the Star Citizen community, and most likely the space sim genre at large, will have heard of in one way or another. Sits and civs, captains and commanders, please join us in giving a warm welcome to Mr. Derek Smart. Derek, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm good, fine, thank you, thank you. Good, good. Um, first off, I want to establish uh, your, your your bona fides, or as we say in the legal profession, your bona fides. Um, right. Believe it or not, some people might not have any clue why you have you know inserted yourself into this discussion of crowdfunding and video game development. So let's start with some of your past experience and and why you might have some some uh, perspective and knowledge on this topic. Uh, when did are you a game developer, sir? Is this a thing? Yes, I am. I, um, I used to be in the IT sector for quite a number of years. Um, you know, I built, I've built computers, I've sold them, I've installed networks. I mean, if, if it has anything to do with computers, I've probably done it. And um, I started, you know, looking into, I mean, I, I've always been a, you know, a game, you know, a gamer and I wanted to um, start, you know, developing my own games. And um, so I learned how to program and one thing led to another. My IT background took a back seat, and once I realized that I could actually make money, and they actually paid people to make <laughs> make him play games, I started um, developing games. Uh, you're, you guys already know my history. For those who started, don't, though, uh, you know, right. a snapshot, oh, a snapshot. Okay. Well, I started designing uh, my first game back uh, in ni- around 1987, 88. Um, I remember well because those were pretty good years, and um, I didn't know how to program for games. I mean, I had some pretty good friends in the industry who were already doing games, you know, with Mission Studios, and I was a big fan of the Elite games. So I started to learn by books, pretty much what um, 
everybody does these days, but you know, there's so many tools these days for other people who are learning how to program back yeah. in the day. You say books. These are these are the paper things with yeah, the cardboard. Those, those things. Oh, yes. yeah. Those okay. things. Yeah, yeah. You All know, right. I was, I, I, yeah, those, those things. I mean, I started off with Lee Adams, Lee Adams books. Um, you know, in fact, some of them didn't even come with the um, – with any disc, with any media, you actually had to manually type all that crap from the book into a <laughs> compiler. I kid you not. Look them up, uh, Lee Adams. So one thing led to another, and um, I did the first. I actually got uh, some friends of mine together. We met online. We put together a um, an idea for something I wanted to do. Uh, one of them was an artist. The other, the other, actually, they were both artists. And I was the only person dumb enough to want to start programming, not even games, not even knowing anything about it. So we started working on that in 89. I sat down, designed an entire world of characters and the ships and everything else. And I did the first prototype, you know, on a whim, you know, with my programmer art. And again, the help of some friends of mine, we, I uploaded it and a bunch of the media saw it. And the big thing back then was, it was actually unthinkable for any lone wolf developer to be doing a game, and especially not aligned with the publisher. So um, a guy named Brian Walker got wind of it online, and he used to be with a magazine called um, Computer Games and uh, Strategy Plus. He reached out to me, asked me for a copy of the um, of the quote-unquote demo. It really was just a prototype. It wasn't a demo of a game. And he took a look at it. He was completely astonished when I told him that this was my first time out and I had absolutely no professional game programming experience period so he thought this was you know is a big deal and he put me on the cover of video games and strategy plus in 1992 issue and it took off from there and you know my first game was released after going through a few publishers three or four publishers I believe first game landed landed at um take to interactive after publisher changed hands and because again i was inexperienced back in the day and didn't have a clue what i was doing but i was doing it anyway publisher got impatient the game wasn't ready uh you know it was month after so, month after month and they sure. just released it and um you know so, the rest so, is history right so yeah it started you know basement project you and your buddies yep. Yep. 89-ish yep. uh it it got a little attention Uh, It got a little attention, sort of blew up in your face a little bit. And then about four years later, you released a project after going through a few publishers that you weren't 100% pleased with. Correct. Okay. So that's correct. Okay. So I'm going to draw some parallels here. We'll get back to them later. But we're talking about a seven year time span here 89 ish to 96 ish. Uh, Basement project got some attention, blew up real big final product not exactly what you had in mind over seven years that could be the story in a nutshell uh, that is the story in a nutshell okay all right so so this so and again the whole idea is we're establishing your bona fides that is the story of a certain game that that right. happened back in the day Battle so Cruiser 3080. <laughs> oh that's that was, i was trying to come up with it i couldn't i, I it was it was on the tip of my tongue the whole time <laughs> the whole time and i just it was it was there but okay so that is the story of a game that happened back in back in the olden times and the long, long ago. So since then, what have you been doing? Pretty much the same thing. I mean, after the publisher got fed up of waiting and um, going back and forth, even though when we did the contract, the reason I had release rights was because I didn't want to run into 
know, whole issue of the publisher releasing my game incomplete. So my attorney at the time insisted that um, we have language in there whereby I would retain release rights to the game, which means the publisher couldn't release it without my say-so. Uh, of course, that sort of, you know, gave me um, a, a way to keep doing it for as long as possible. I mean, it wasn't costing the publisher any money at the time, so I felt that since I was funding it, as I do all my games, it didn't make much difference. Unknown to me, you know, publishers were actually in this business to make money. And so they... <laughs> so Detail. They yeah, the, yeah, just little details that yeah. tend to, you know, us programmers tend to ignore. Yeah. So um, I was comfortable. I was still working part time and um, working on the game part time. And then the publisher, this was Take Two, decided that they wanted me to focus on it full time. Um, and so I quit the project I was working on. It was it was an IT project and um, started to work on it full time. They were paying. You know the expenses for the project. They started putting money into marketing, and um, you know it, it got kind of you know it got kind of kind of serious. Mm-hmm. And in the end, again unknown to me at the time, they were trying to go uh, to go um, public the following year, which was '97, I believe. Ah. And um, the game was one of a uh, few that they had at the time. And um, you know I got a call one day saying, "Hey, you know um, if this, if it's not ready by." such and such a date, which was like two months away, um, they were going to release what they had. You know, I thought they were bluffing, and um, they weren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, they weren't. Vulcans and, never yeah. bluff, and neither do publishers, huh? Yeah, yeah, I thought they were bluffing, and they weren't. I mean, the publish, the, the producer at the time knew exactly what was, what was going on, but again, I was green, and I was arrogant, and I was adamant that they can't do it because my contract that I signed says they can't. Um, oh, oh! If only all my clients were such, you know, good <laughs> believers of the word as you, sir. Yes, yeah, you have so, a contract. It's a holy thing, right? Oh yeah, not oh, so yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, of course. So I was very adamant about that and got arrogant about the whole thing. And they, you know, you know, I told them, look, the game's it's not ready, and if you release it in this fashion, it's going to be very, very bad. But um, they basically they were tired of waiting and. I didn't care. You're done. No, so, I, but yeah. s- since then, you've continued to develop these the other games on your own. Yes, indeed. Uh, and and have you gone back to publishers at all in that time? Have you do you have your own publishing company? How's that? How's that? How's that worked since '97 to 2015 for you? Well, I have um, since that time. I have been through a few publishers. For instance, um, after the whole Take Two thing blew up and they went public. Um, I re- uh, the, some guys at Interplay reached out to me, and um, because what I had done was after they released the game incomplete, uh, you know, it blew up. Everybody was upset because it wasn't ready. I, uh, of course, I had actually gone online and said, "Hey, by the way, the publisher's going to ship the game. Don't, don't buy it because it's not complete." But most people didn't listen to me because every there's the game was all over the media and all the press. Everybody wanted to get their hands on it. They bought it anyway. But um, uh, Interplay reached out to me after that game got released um, and said, hey, you know, if you ever think of finishing it, you know, come and talk to us. So at that time, I was actually working on my own after the game was released in 96. I was working on finishing the game, but I couldn't actually finish it because it was at least a year away. So what I did do was all the features that weren't complete, I stripped them out. 
Uh, I fixed the bugs that were I knew were there when the game shipped, and I released the patch for free. Grabbed my attorneys. My attorneys got into a huge tussle with their attorneys. In the end, we settled out of court because the last thing they wanted was me making noise, uh, legal noise, when they were trying to go public. So, um, you know, we had a settlement out of court. I got some money. And I used that money to finish the game, and the next thing I did was I released it for free, which they didn't see coming. Yeah, and so they, they, you you got this, you got a not, not a director's cut maybe, but you have something closer to what you had Correct. hoped to, what to I happen. Envision. Yep. What you what you envision, and that was let's let's keep track of the calendar here. That uh, two years later, we're we talking 1998 ish. Actually, I did that. I released that in actually uh, because when they released it in Q4 1996, the first patch I released that made the game more stable was about was almost immediate because I had already known beforehand they were actually going to do it. So the game was I think two weeks on the shelves. I released a patch. I released three or four patches going into Q1 97. Okay, it's pretty quick. Yeah, it was pretty quick because I was already, again, I already knew okay. what that they were going to do but it, so I your, just your, cut it. Your director's cut was that late 97? Yes, it was. Okay, so about another year. So we'll add yeah. another year onto our approximately seven-year timeline. We'll throw another year on that. So now we're up to year eight. Is, is that when you brought, let it go, or did you keep going? Well, on, I kept going. I kept, kept going. going. Okay. Yeah, what, what I didn't see, what I didn't envision happening was when Interplay um, – decided to publish version 2.0 of Battlecruiser, um, which would be the director's cut, they asked me, they said, so what's left to do? What do you take out and what are you going to keep in? And I told them, I said, this is what was shipped. This is the state of the game. And this is, you know, how far I want to take it, but it's not going to be possible uh, at this point. So they said, okay, what's your best guesstimate on what you're going to deliver? So I put that together. It was about, I think, maybe 75% of um, you know what I had envisioned the entire game would be. So they okay. looked at they looked at it and they shipped it as Battlecruiser 2.0, and just like that, the whole thing just took off because it was it was a solid release. Late '97 or that, that a little later than that. That was in '98. And the, interplay, okay. the, the second title, which was Interplay's version, came out in 98. 98, okay. And that one that one mostly worked for you? Uh, it, it, well, it worked very well, actually, because okay. that was the one that actually kept people talking about the game. Uh, I mean, some okay. people didn't forget that the original was released incomplete. Right. But um, once they got hold of the... And Interplay did a lot of marketing on that title. Once mm-hmm. they, they did that and people started playing it, that's how the, the game's following you know, started to build up over time. Okay, so then, uh, so then, uh, that that is sort of uh, that was a feature complete to your mind. Uh, a game, it was stable, it ran to your satisfaction, and then, uh, if I understand correctly, you it continued in that vein and that IP. But then you began working on related projects, not that project necessarily anymore, but related ones. Yeah, the reason it wasn't really feature complete um, because I, I had this grand vision for how I wanted the game. It didn't have the first person. It had a lot of features missing. But by the time you know I started working with Interplay and with their producers, and I gained more experience in how you know game development works, it occurred to me that you can't just 
for everything in. And I mean, I, I threw the kitchen sink. I went and got all the ladles, the spoons, the pots, the pans. <laughs> right. I shoved it in, and then I looked out the window and saw there was a kitchen sink on the sidewalk. I went downstairs and brought that up and just shoved it in there. Yeah. And, you know, this producer saying to me, you know, that goes, take that out, take that out, take that out. And I, and I, I followed the direction. So in the end, I had the, the interplay version was the game that I envisioned, but without all the, the baggage that was that wasn't needed to make it a quote-unquote game. So, in, in in retrospect, the version of Interplay released would have been the version that Take Two would have released if I had an, an additional year and a half to do it in and sure. with proper direction. So after that ah. release, I started working on. I continued. If you look at my at the website, there are about five or six titles in the same series that came after the Interplay um, release. That's mm-hmm. because. I cut all that crap out because I started listening to people who knew better than I did. Right. So, so you, you and we'll come back to this topic as well. But you had you had uh, you had some direction. You had some advice. You had some guidance that said uh, these are all great. What we can do is we can take these and we can make it six games. And if we try to make it into one game, it might not go so well. That is correct. Okay. All right. Well, um, so let's let's turn that 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 kind of gets us up to speed. You know, early Derek Smart all the way up through you know recent times. You're you're working on a, another game now, Line of Defense, uh, sort of in the same vein, right? Uh, same yep. IP. Um, but now uh, we've got a new a whole new world in front of us. Jeff, why don't you why don't you uh, why don't you take us into the world of crowdfunding? Hi, Derek. I'm Jeff. Hi, Jeff. Uh, so is uh, is crowdfunding a contract or a donation it's a it's it's both it's in my opinion it's a little bit of both it's it's a contract between the 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 crowdfunding um creators and the people who fund it um a lot of people tend to think it's one or the other in my opinion i think it's a combination of both because again if you if i asked it it all again it it all depends on on the type of project i'll give an example if somebody says hey can you okay let's forget about kickstarter let's say gofundme if somebody says hey i need to raise 500 dollars because i want to go on a cross-country trip they're giving you 500 bucks they don't really care if you go on the trip or not because they don't expect something back so it all depends on the type of crowdfunding and again in some cases you somebody says well i'm going to make this and if you pay me this you can get this that in itself is a sort of a contract so what you're effectively saying there is that not only are there expectations from the uh, developer of I'm going to deliver X, Y, and Z, but that the person then giving the money also has those expectations set and that kind of forms the basis for a, as you said, loose contract. That is correct. So what steps do you think that both sides, the developers and the backers, can take uh, when it comes to actually setting expectations? Is there anything, obviously um, your games are currently on, uh, uh, Line of Defense is currently on Early Access itself, isn't it, I believe, um, yes, it through is. Steam at the moment? Yeah. So um, obviously this is something that you have some experience in. Um, how do you go about setting expectations for your backers and uh, communicating effectively what it is that you're trying to do with the money that they give you? One word, honesty. That's it. And. One thing, I want to make the distinction between early access and standard crowdfunding. Early access is not crowdfunding. And a lot of people don't seem to understand the difference. The difference being in, in early access, you are specifically saying, I'm going to, and this is the reason why Steam Valve is very strict on early access. That's why they have early access, they have green light. 
and they have the regular you know publishing but in early access you essentially you essentially saying i am going to make assuming it's a game i'm going to make this game uh this is what i want to do with it and if you pay this amount of money this is what you're going to get but remember there's a very good chance i might not make this game so Really, all you're saying is it's not about you walking into a store and saying, "Hey, give me that on the shelf," and here's a dollar bill. You're actually saying that I'm going to try and do this. It's entirely up to you to come along if you want to, but remember, I could fail. That's the early access side of things. Crowdfunding is similar, but unfortunately, where the where the where the similarity ends is where the promises are being made on the crowdfunding side for instance again take game a going to crowdfunding and say i'm going to make this game and you're going to get a, you're going to get a copy of it there is a solid expectation that when i give you 50 quid or 50 dollars for this game right i'm going to get a game because you mm -hmm. said you're going to make a game on early access early access is really just a fancy way of saying you are paying to see how the sausage is being made. Now, right. game, games get cancelled all the time. A lot of games get cancelled internally they have never even been announced. I mean, I've cancelled two games that nobody knew about. Well, they probably saw a press release somewhere. But, you know, so that's really all early access is. It just says, we're making a game, and if you want to be part of this process, then this is what it's going to cost you. But you have to understand that once you know how the sausage has been made, there's a very good chance that it could fail or succeed because that's how games are made. That's a distinction people simply cannot reconcile, and I don't know. I, I, I simply don't know why. Would you call that open development on early access? Is is that a thing you could say? Well, open is relative. I mean, it's not that open because the people who purchase the game in early access only know what you tell them. It's not like. You know, they've got access to Skype and your Jira and they've got access to your Confluence and your SVN, all that nonsense. It's not really that open. All it is, is it's it's a limited access. You know, it's it's as if you, uh, you know, you and I were, we were creating a building and the guy who's funding it rolls up in his limo and says, okay, I see you guys, in, you know, doing the building. I don't need to come in, you know, and he goes off. But the maybe the architect who works for that guy shows up and he says, "I want to go in, let him in." So it's really about on the outside. On you know, you're actually on the outside trying to look in, but you're actually looking in through the window, and all you see is what the developer wants you to see. So it's really not it's really not open development. It's just a matter of you know, it's just a way of saying, well, we're building it, trust that we're building it, and show you we're building it we're going to give you updates you know whether it's you know it's a build to work on it's a storyline it's a change log things like that so uh, open really is not the way i would describe it i, I you know it's just a it, that's you know i don't know how to describe it really so it's um the way the what i was going to do is kind of draw a comparison to um if you were to take traditional say film media um kickstarter is uh or, or sorry, crowdfunding is pledging to have the thing produced, whereas early access is more paying an extra couple of quid to buy a making of DVD that showed you the behind the scenes bits and the bits that the developer wants you to then see of that, uh, as opposed to I'm giving you this money specifically to make the movie so I can have a copy of it early. 
I agree with that analogy, but also by the same token, you must understand that you might not even get that making off DVD. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Obviously, it doesn't map entirely one to one. Yeah. You know, you you got you got access to some of the raw footage, uh, you know, the, of the making of DVD. They're not going to put it together for you, you know, but you've got clips. Right. You've right. been given clips. But I like I like let's go back to that building thing. Let's yeah. go back to that building thing. I kind of like that. So let's say you're that guy that uh, that has rolled up on in his limo, right, to the building that you've you've given some money to be built, and you look up there and you're like, Humph. now hold on a second here. This stage of the game, I thought we were going to be thirty feet high. Now you're only you're only twenty feet. So what does what does the what does limo guy do? What what's what's he entitled to 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 do? And that's and I realize we're talking about different models here. But let's start with the the crowdfunding model. Uh, we'll start with that one, and maybe we'll go on to some of these other ideas we've been talking about. But the, on the crowdfunding side, what's he do? What's his remedy? What's he, he has no he has none, simply because in crowdfunding, the only way that limo guy would have any remedy is if Limogai is holding any of the strings that the project wants. I'll give an example. Say, say the crowdfund, say the creator in this case uh, needed a hundred bucks, right? And Mr. Limo, um, let's call him the backer, gave him fifty. So the creator knows that he needs another fifty from from the backer, and he's not going to be antagonistic is not going to be rude mean disrespectful whatever the whatever the backer says the creator is going to want to accommodate because he wants the rest of the 50 or 50 dollars back right but if the backer has given that you know creator the hundred dollars really has no remedy because then two things will happen either the the creator is is grateful and if he has nothing to hide he will you know the backer informed every step of the way and the, the backer says hey I want to come in the building and if the if let's say the creator doesn't have knows that there's nothing inside yet it's just a shell he could say well it's just a shell but you're welcome to come and take a look or if he doesn't want the backer to know that um, it's not even a shell it's just a facade there's a lot of things you can do to, to, to prevent that from happening at that point, the backer, as long as the backer doesn't have anything that the creator wants, the only remedy is what remedy is, is, is the legal recourse that whatever contract, if any, exists between backer and creator affords the backer. Otherwise, it's just one of those things where you put money in the bank and if it's not FDIC insured, you've lost if the bank goes under. So it, it, it all depends on your toast. You're pretty much, yes. I mean, and, and let's go. Let's go back to our, the earlier part of the conversation. You know, I would like all contracts to be holy and and and, and sacred writ. But you know, even even a, a legal legally negotiated contract, someone can look at it and go, "Huh, I'm better off breaking this thing. Come and get me." Yep. Uh, so and so in that in that situation, limo guy drives up. He just he doesn't like what he sees. His money's gone. Uh, if there's another. Uh, dose of money expected he might get some of his concerns addressed if not too bad but limo guy is just a money guy right you know he might not be able to tell the difference between a facade and a shell as you were saying something a shell which may contain things in the future or a facade which is just a fake thing that's put up let's talk about architect guy going into this thing right 
He's he, he he chipped in, let's say, ten bucks, not fifty bucks like Limo Guy did. He chipped in ten bucks because Architect Guy is really interested in how this other architect wants to put the thing together. He's really he's really excited about that. So he go he wants he wants to take a look at uh, what's behind the curtain, and what he sees doesn't fit his idea of how a building like this should be put together. What does he, what does he do? What's his what's his what's his remedy? What's his what's his uh, way to protest. It it depends on it depends on um, it depends on motivation, um, and if it depends on a motivation, it depends on whether or not architect guy really has you know knows what the creator is building. You know, for instance, I mean. All professions are not the same, right? You, that's why sure. you, have good, you have good attorneys, bad attorneys. You have good architects and not so good architects. So if Mr. Architect, who put in 10 bucks, first of all, let's just assume that the amount of money architect put in gave him access to, to look through the door and to see whether there's a, you know, whether there's a shell there. Let's just say he looks in and says, okay, there's a shell here, but um, I'm not quite sure this is how the shell should look well first of all it's not up to the architect to determine to to make a decision on what the creator wants to build regardless of what the architect says it's immaterial it's irrelevant because the architect didn't give the creator money to do something the architect wanted the creator says i'm going to make this and if you want part of it you give me this so that's one aspect of it the other aspect of it is, let's assume that the architect is the best architect in the world, and he knows that when he looked through the door, he saw a shell that says, hey, wait a minute, you guys say this is a shell, but this looks like a bunch of screens, and another screen, and another screen, and you guys are three months in, okay, and I don't believe this is ever going to be a building. He still has no recourse, because again, it's not his project. The only recourse he has is whatever recourse, whether it's a contractual, it's written on a contract, or it's it's mandated by law. That's the only recourse he has because the only person who is in the driver's seat is the creator, and there's nothing that changes that. All right. Well, so let's let's leave off the let's go from the shift from a legal thing to sort of a moral thing, right? What's 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 right? What's what's the you know what's what's the good neighbor thing to do? So. Uh, the, the limo guy rolls up or the architect rolls up says this isn't going exactly how I planned you know what you really should do is you should tell me what you did with my 50 bucks is is that okay is that a thing that they should be able to to get yes and no it's it's a fine line I'll tell you why I'm torn about that and that's a very very good question the reason I'm torn about that is twofold one goes back to what we talked about earlier about the the expectation creator says I'm going to build this and when I build it you're going to get a room in this building and for this room in this building I want 50 bucks now right away Mr. Architect who thinks he knows or knows or he may could be the best architect in the world is now expecting a room in a fantastic building so if there's any point in time where he thinks a the building is never going to get made, and if the building's not constructed properly, he's not going to get his room, and he starts making noise. The moral thing would be for the creator to tell 
the architects, hey, listen, you're either right or you're wrong. If the architect is right and you come clean and you be honest, you know what? You're right. We could have done this, this and this differently, but we didn't. We This is how we plan to fix it. That's the more that's how to do it morally. The immoral side of it, which is where arrogance comes in, I'm not even talking about fraud or 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 dishonesty. I'm not even going down that path because in, in this example, we're just saying everybody's on the up and up, and everyone's honest, right? So, you know, when you when you when you in a contract, as you said, you know, anybody can break a contract. They're just they're not most of them aren't worth the paper they're written on. The only way you know the strength of a contract is if you're willing to challenge the contract and go all the way. So, in some cases, you would have Mr. Architect would tell Mr. Creator and say, hey, listen, I know how to make, build this building, but from what I've seen, I don't see how you're going to construct this building. If you don't construct this building, I'm never going to get my room. So the creator would say, with one hand, a good creator, an honest creator would say, you know, you're right. This We, we could have done some things differently. We didn't. We messed up. This is how we're going to fix it, if we can fix it. Now, on the other side, you talk about shame embarrassment and um, entitlement now somebody who doesn't want to be to, to feel you know shamed or embarrassed would be a little bit more what's the word I'm looking for re, you know uh, resistant to telling the architect that he, he's either because once you tell somebody you know once you tell somebody yes you're right a lot of people that as a sign of weakness it's it's very very it's, it's something people don't pay attention to you know and i'm guilty of that myself the minute you start thinking about whether you're losing a, a position of authority or or the upper hand by apologizing acquiesce you know uh, agreeing to something and if you ever feel like you're losing some sort of control it's easy to, to do the wrong thing i have to say and, and say the wrong thing so you would have one creator would, would cop to it and say, yes, you're right. We messed up. This is how we're going to fix it. Another creator would go the opposite direction and hide everything, not tell the truth until it's too late. And guess what? This is the relationship between publishers and developers going back decades, which is why there's zero trust. Publishers expect one thing. Developers expect one thing. There's a lot of crosstalk. Nobody wants to back off. Nobody wants to admit anything. Developers lie a lot about the state of their projects. Publishers just want to get to make money, and it goes sideways. So it works the same way in any kind of contract. Well, let's let's say that that you've got the building and it's halfway up, and and people are right or they're wrong or they're going to acquiesce uh, to to you know acknowledge some 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 drawbacks and maybe some some uh, shortcomings. But you know, Jeff, here's the here's the sixty four thousand dollar question. Ask away. At uh, what point should you, as a creator, consider cutting yourself off, like ending the campaign? Well, would that be before you've got all the money or after you've gotten the money? That's a great question. I mean, and, and, and what, what is, quote, all the money? Well, if you ask for 100 bucks to build something and you've got 100 bucks, do you continue going? Or do you say, well, I've got a hundred bucks, it's what I want, and you stop there, or do you continue going? I mean, most developers, well, most people on crowdfunding would keep going because that's how stretch goals are created. But as everybody knows, when it comes to software development, 
stretch goals are you know, a version of scope creep. And if you think you can build something with $100 and you somehow figure you can do more with 20 you know, and you keep going and you get 120 140 150 160 it's sometimes you end up in a situation where you thought that, well, this stretch goal, which is worth only 20 bucks, ends up costing you 50. So in actuality, all you're doing really is raising less money and increasing your development debt. So you have to decide where you want to cut it off. And really, nobody, there's nobody I know who would start a campaign and just stop if people keep throwing money at them. Is, is that an inherent weakness in the model? You know, a publisher will set you a budget, and if you want more, you got to squeeze it from them. But, you know, if it's a crowdfunding uh, concept and it's really popular, people will keep throwing money at you. Is that a, a weakness? Well, I don't see it as a weakness. I see it more as a as a trap, as it were. I mean, the, the for example, again, publisher, developer. You developer writes up design doc, three years, million dollars a year, you go through a million. Uh, the publisher is going to be giving you that money in milestones. You know, you probably end up with 25% up front and the rest earned in milestones. In crowdfunding, no such thing exists. There's no milestones. So you could very well ask for, you know, $3 million, get $9 million and still not deliver. Because, again, there's nothing yeah. stopping you from screwing up or buy enough more than you can chew. Could you, as a creator, a crowdfunder, design a crowdfunding campaign with those milestones built in, you know, uh, we will reopen this crowdfunding campaign once we've got this deliverable out there. And at that point, we're going to come back and ask you for another million or whatever. Could you design a crowdfunding campaign that way? And do you think it would work? It would work because a lot of game, uh, in terms of games, quite a few games have done just that. In fact, when you, if you look at a, if you look at a crowdfunding campaign for a game and the easiest way whether you're a developer or a gamer, the easiest way to spot if it's achievable is by looking at what they promised at the max funding level. So let, I'll give you an example. We're going to make you a game. It's going to have five missions. I want a million dollars, okay? And for every $100,000 on top of that, we'll give you an extra mission. Now you have to ask yourself this. What they've pitched as the game, will they be able to deliver it with the $3 million? You can answer that question. If you can get to the point where you're convinced that for the amount of money that they asked for and deliver, anything else as far as stretch goals becomes unique and on its own. Because really when you think about it, let's let's assume they say, okay, a hundred, you know, a hundred thousand dollars for an extra mission. And they've now raised an additional $300,000 for three missions. Well, if they've got $3 million to build a full game and they're saying it's only $100,000 uh, to build an extra mission, you can easily say, well, this is probably achievable. And you just have to determine how far you think they should go. I mean, a lot of games that get funded, very few of the games with stretch goals ever make their stretch goals. Most of them really end up funding a little over the max that they asked for or just short of the first stretch goal or a little after the first stretch goal. And that's, again, because a lot of people who look at this, 
look at it and say, well, either the stretch goal isn't important to them or they feel that the amount of money they've asked for should be enough to build the game they want. I mean, it's, it's like this. If I want you, if I want to build this building for Mr. L for the limo guy and the limo guy gives me money to for the building, I'm not going to you know, put a, an artificial lake out back. If I ask the, the limo guy and says, I want a half a million dollars and I'll put you a, you know, a nice artificial lake out back, if the limo guy doesn't give you that money, you, no artificial lake. So it really, it's all in the hands of the people giving the creator the money. The creator has no yeah. fault in any of this. All right. Let, let me let's. I, I'm I'm totally digging this building thing that we've got going here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go with this one more time. So yeah. uh, you got the building. You've got the possibility of this artificial lake. But what I, what I hear you saying is that the difference between uh, a good stretch goal, you know, one an indicia of potential success for you would be, I'm gonna build a building, and for every extra bit of money, I'm gonna add another floor to the building. I've got this building here. And architecturally, the bottom is sound. It could be 100 stories high. I only want one that's 10 stories high. If you guys want extra floors, I can do that. But if we want a whole nother a water park out back or a great lake or an extra parking garage, well, that's not necessarily integral to the building itself. And if I'm building, if, if my stretch goals are, I'm going to put things on there that aren't really needed in the core project, that, that may be an indicator that this is now scope creep, not stretch goals. Absolutely. Totally. Okay. That, that's a very good analogy. Couldn't have said it better. Okay. I've got, and I've got, since, since we've been talking about um, publishers and developers or, or uh, crowdfunders, I like to call them crowdfunding developers, we know that crowdfunding has changed the face of, of gaming development, but Publishers have been publishers for a long time in the gaming industry, and there's a reason for them. They keep an eye on the money. They keep an eye on the stretch goals. They keep an eye on on deliverables. Do you think that crowdfunding is hurting our game development, or and do you see a need for publishers in the future? Could we incorporate the both of them somehow into this into uh, uh, way of, of developing or should we just continue on with the crowdfunding? Well, I think, you know, I, there, there's a, you know, the way I look at it, there's room for, for both publishers, self-publishing and crowdfunding. In fact, there are some, some uh, crowdfunding campaigns for games that started off in crowdfunding in order for a publisher to even touch them. So, you know, where a publisher might say, well, I'm not going to put, give you guys a million dollars to build this game, or I'm not going to put half a million dollars to market it. But if you guys go and find your own funding, come back and we'll talk. That funding could be crowdfunding, it could be a loan, it could be venture capital, it could be anything. So those those avenues do exist and they do happen. In fact, there's quite a few of them. The way I look at it, I mean, publishers aren't going to go, they're not going anywhere. I mean. I'm a developer, and I'll be the first person to say that anytime you hear a, a developer complaining about a publisher, it's one of two things. Either the developer has issues, or the publisher has issues. It's not always, you know, when I see this, I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of it. I mean, I've had issues where a publisher was right about something, I was wrong, I held my ground, didn't work out so well. So 
it's you know people keep forgetting that publishers are people. You know, people run these these corporations, and their most of the primary focus is get a good product because a good product means money, and money means more product. You know, so it's very hard for some developers to to understand that publishers serve a specific purpose. It's always yeah, quote unquote, the publishers fault. They rushed the game, they pulled funding, blah blah blah. But you rarely ever know what actually goes on, you know, in the background. So my thing is, if you if you want to, I mean, publishers. In fact, there are very few publishing deals getting done these days, and the ones that are getting done these days don't—they're they're only down to marketing and distribution. You know, back in the day, publishers would put out a lot of money to a third party to make a game. Those deals are few and far between, which is why self-publishing took off so quickly. Digital distribution became a major player, and the next thing you know, everybody wants to be a developer slash publisher. So you have publishers; they have their roles, they have their goals, they have their function. You have the self-publishing and you have crowdfunding. The the thing is, if crowdfunding goes away, most of the, that's most, all the really good products we've seen come out would never make it to the to, to the would never see light of day. Same thing with digital distribution. If if Apple, Google, Steam, all these outlets weren't out, most of the games we've seen, most of the remarkable, you know, uh, 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 indie games, these exceptional games. Would never get made. Would never see it. I mean, picture this: there was always a way to set up a storefront. You had Digital River, you had Fast Spring, you had Amazon. You have all of them, but very few people, very few developers are making money through those avenues because you have to market it. You know, when you put your game on Steam, Valve is not going to market it for you. The best you're going to get is maybe a feature. You know, maybe for a couple of days or a couple of hours. That's it. If you don't market the game, that's on you. If it doesn't have popularity, that's on you. If you're not on social media doing the noise, that's on you. Same thing. When you put your game on 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 PlayStation, on Sony doesn't do anything for you unless you have an exclusive deal with them. So there's a lot of work involved with with self-publishing. But the thing is, once it became possible, people for developers to self-publish their own games, they automatically all these windows of opportunity open up. Because now all the stores are, you know, forward-facing. Whether you did public, whether you did marketing or not, you could still get your game out. You didn't have to have some storefront on Digital River that nobody goes to. You know, nobody comes to your website to click and then get a store link for Digital River or Fastspring or wherever. Because places where you can put your games are always in front of people, which is why mobile took off so quickly, so fast. A lot of people made a lot of money, and then. But, you know, it became a gold rush where you had more games than you had than you could get eyeballs on, and the whole thing fell apart. So, it again to close that part of what I was saying, publishers have their role, crowdfunding has its role, self-publishing has its role. It all depends on what works for the product and for the person building the product. Well, speaking of products, there's one product in particular that we're all very interested in. One degree or another, and I think we should we should move from our general dis- topics of discussion here and get very very specific. Now let's move on to that big item in the cloud: Squadron Forty Two and Star Citizen. You yourself were actually a backer originally, as as we all are here. But why was the original pitch a good idea? Well, nostalgia and the fact that publishers weren't making none of the publishers were 
interested in going back to the space sim genre, at least not as we knew it. I mean, there are a lot of, you know, games, you know, indie developers doing smaller titles. You'd find a whole bunch of space combat games on Steam, on mobile, but publishers, there's really, publishers really didn't have any interest in doing any large AAA type push for, you know, a space combat game. I personally got involved because, A, I wanted a Wing Commander successor because, hey, I spent a, a lifetime pretty much on that genre. I'm very, very protective, as it were, of the genre because I haven't done anything else out of that genre. So, because I knew that not only did I do I not want to make a Wing Commander type game, it's not my style of game, I would never fund it because. I have no interest in those kind of, in, 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 in those kind of games because my games are more in depth, they're more larger in scope. They have things, and I know that there's no way I would ever sit down to build a game where it only has five bullet points when I know I can do 20. I mean, I would never touch it. So I figured, you know, fine. There's going to be a triple A quality type Wing Commander. Someone else is going to build it. I'm there. That's why I funded it. It had nothing to do with Chris Roberts, other than you know, hey, yeah, he, you know, he was the, the, the guy who made Wing Commander back in the day that we all played. It had nothing to do with, you know, how much money they'd raised because I was one of the very early backers. It simply had to do with I wanted a Wing Commander slash, you know, uh, freelancer spiritual successor. That's so really it. You you would be in, you know on the show frequently. We sort of separated. Uh, arbitrarily, completely arbitrarily, people into sort of the early ones, the middle ones, and the late ones. And uh, we're represented here by Jeff, the early ones, me, the middle ones, Lennon, you know, the Johnny-come-latelys, you know, those guys. Uh, uh, but they're all very important, every single one of us. You would put yourself in probably the early backer category. Uh, someone who took a look at uh, the project in its early phases and said, yeah, give me one of those. I backed Lose. it, you know, I looked at it, and um, which goes back to what I said earlier about the architect knowing how to make a building. Right. I took a look at the scope. I took a look at what he wanted to do. I did, in all fairness, I had no idea at the time they were going to stick with the engine they had, but it was of no relevance at the time because what they pitched as a developer and an engineer, I figured, yep, this is totally doable. You've got all this money. Yep, let's do it. So, so here's, you, my, here, yeah. here's my money. Yeah, you set you settled in on the early stage and thought, yep, that's 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 a product that uh, I can get behind that I'd like to have, and uh, you know, good luck uh, doing it. And then uh, something changed, and what changed? What what did, the, you, there could be many triggers here, but what do you think was sort of the the moment where it changed from a let's say, a, a reasonable building with reasonable materials and reasonable money into something that turned into a water park in the back and a parking garage and all that kind of stuff. Was, is, there a, is there a spot you can point to? Yeah. Um, uh, the short version is, going back to our building analogy, um, the short part is, so I am the limo guy. I pulled up in front, of my, in front of the building I was funding, and as soon as I stepped out of the vehicle, some guy comes running down the street, says, hey, Derek, you know, you realize that they're not build, this building's not going to be finished, right? And I'm going, what What do you mean? I'm looking at a building. 
Well, have you gone out back? No. Have you looked through the windows? No, I haven't even crossed the lawn yet. And crossing the lawn, this is what people don't, people seem to forget. Since I backed the game, I never went back to it. I never wrote about it other than, you know, to follow up, you know, follow some of the, the, you know, the social media stuff. I never downloaded the hangar. I never harassed them for being late. I never harassed them for arena command and not happening, nothing. So from 2012, the first time I ever voiced any public event about the game was in July 2015. And that was after three months of looking into what the guy running down the street was telling me. You know, I, while I was talking to the guy down the street, some neighbor from across the street walked in and said, hey, have you gone around back? There's no pool there. Didn't you guys pay them for a pool? And then by the time I finished talking to that guy, some lady come, you know, is walking her dog, say, hey, have you looked uh, in the basement? There's no pipe, there's no plumbing in the basement. So all these things, it's a very small industry. A lot of us talk. All these things started coming back to me. I started getting emails, I'd get DMs. Three months before I wrote my blog, people were already telling me that the project was in trouble. And because, you know, it's it, it had ballooned into what they were promised, it became this massive game. And some of the people who were reaching out to me already knew that I had all this experience building these massive games. I still didn't bite. And with the Star Citizen thing, it started, I think, uh, around the end of April when I got started getting emails and I started chatting people on Facebook and on Skype. And I said, you know what? Let me go and take a look. And I started investigating. I read all the development blogs that I hadn't read in the past. I went through some of their, admittedly, not all of their their broadcasts, you know, around the verse and, you know, 10th of the chairman, blah, blah, right. blah. But the ones I read, the more, you guys have seen my blogs. I'm a very detail-oriented kind of guy. Very little escapes me. And there's one I, thing I don't, there's one thing I, I there's one, something I, 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 when I start something, I'm a dog, I'm like a dog with a bone. Until I will I not know, dispute your assertion. I will not dispute your assertion, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Until I know that bone to the end, there's no stopping. So once I started looking at all this stuff and I started thinking, what is going on? And what really did it for me was the last um, dev note uh, blog that, from them that I read when they said that we're going to move into 64-bit positioning. And I thought, oh, my God. What? Okay, let, let's let, let's move to let's go back to the building analogy. What was that? You know, the building analogy. So the sixty-four okay. bit conversion, double precision conversion, using our building analogy. What was that in the building that, analogy? That was me walking through the front door and realizing that none of the plumbing was there, or the plumbing that put in there had the wrong pipes. And if you ran a certain temperature through the pipes, the whole thing would blow up. But this time, they already had a ten-story building which meant either if you're going to replace these pipes, you're in deeper trouble, or you're going to find a way to change the structure of the building so you don't have to rip out these pipes. That's pretty much the moment. It's, okay. for me, was a big deal. Okay, all right, so, yeah, so, the, so and, and this, and, and, and let's, let's, tie these, let's tie these two products together, the Squadron 42 and the Star Citizen. The pipes moment, the 64-bit double precision, that was not a thing you necessarily needed for your wing commander successor, but it was it was a thing that was you know, arguably necessary to make a seamless, persistent, multi massive multiplayer game, Star Citizen. That is correct, but 
they were not building an MMO game. And they said all through that was not the game they were building. So none of that mattered. So it's, it's as if you're saying, I'll give another analogy. Let's say you've, you've got this building and you're saying, okay, I'm going to wire it for solar energy. Okay. Uh, and you're building this in Seattle. Well, it, it's kind of cloudy. I understand. So there you go. So that that's pretty much, that's the difference there. So if you are, if, if you, if, if you're building a hundred percent solar energy building with solar panels on the roof in Seattle, you have a problem. If you're doing it in Florida, you still have a problem because it rains down here. So that's pretty much the analogy. So if you walk in there and say, okay, fine, well, you know, we've got, we've, we've, we wire this whole thing for solar energy and because that's the quote unquote wave of the future, renewable right. energy, some guy plugs his electric car in, that's all well and good. But that's not what you said, that's not what you told me you were building right. six months ago when I gave you the funding to make, to create my building. So just rolling with the building analogy, you know, uh, when Mr. Limo came along and he's like, I will give you 50 bucks for a room in this nice apartment building. And then several years later, um, the the developer of the building comes out and says, okay, guys, uh, we realized that it was starting out as a single room, but, you know, then we decided to landscape the garden and then we got a lake put in in the back and don't forget the swimming pool and also the gymnasium on the third floor. But ultimately, we're not going to be able to fit all of this into one building by the time we have to hand you over the keys. So we're going to go for a kind of, like, minimum viable building. Um, obviously, now you've got a whole series of different people, ones that have got in in the early days and just wanted a room. You then have the other ones who are now expecting a full gymnasium with a landscape garden and everything that is then associated with that. Obviously, this is going to raise a few issues around deliverables, right? That is correct. And the issue that raises, which should be a huge red flag for anybody who bought a room is that it goes back to the three tiers that you talk, we talked about earlier. You know, the early people, the mid, and the Johnny-come-latelys. So the early people were just perfectly happy with a room in the building that had a swimming pool. By the, by the time the middle guys came in, it was now a room in a building that had a gym and a swimming pool. And the Johnny-come-latelys now ended up with a room in a building that has a gym, a swimming pool, and let's say a basement restaurant. So, by the same token, it's all about expectations. Then the architect comes out and says, by the way, we know we promised you a building with a room, a gym, <laughs> a pool, and a restaurant, but we're going to give you a building and a room anyway, and well, we've got all we've got all the money. Uh, we're going to give you a building and a room. Then we'll start working on getting you your gym and your pool and your restaurant. That's a problem. In fact, it's a huge problem. You know, it, it's a problem because, and and we have this is where we have to sort of start, you know, really being picky about stuff. Yep. It's they haven't told you you're not going to get your uh, pool and your restaurant. They're telling you that. We've got a lot of people that we need to make happy. 
and and just going in order of when those people showed up, we've got to get the room first. That that has to come first. And as a matter of fact, we've had some troubles. I, I they're going back to the, another earlier part of our conversation. They haven't come out and admitted that they've done some screwy things, but I think that we can all agree that management has not been optimal. But but they've they've admitted by deed, if not by word, that things need to the pace needs to be picked up, especially for those people that contributed first. Those people have to go to the top of the list. Let's get them satisfied and get them whole first. Is, is that a fair statement? Yes, it is. Okay, so it's not like they said we're not going to get you the pool in the restaurant. It's just like the people that have been waiting for the rooms have been waiting an awfully long time, and we've got to get that. You know, we got to get that checked off the list. We got to get that punch list done first. Uh, that's fair. Yes, it is. But right, here's so, a problem. Okay, sorry, tell me, tell me no, the problem. No, no, no. 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 Well, here's the problem. Let's talk about the building again. The pro- let's say, so the first people realized they were going to get a room and a 10-story building. And then along the way, they added the gym, they added the swimming pool, they added the restaurant. Now, coming out and saying, okay, we want to take care of the early people first who were getting a room and a 10-story building, well, that's all well and good. However, you can't say that when you've only got one floor of the building. And you tell them, well, we're going to make these early people whole. When the early people haven't seen any indication that they're ever going to get a 10-story building, let alone the other people down the road are going to get their pool and their restaurants and all that. Because you don't have a 10-story building with a room in it. You have a one-story building with a room in it. So anything you say is materially irrelevant. And, and again, we're going to be we're getting down to brass tacks and being picky about these things. But right. if, if we're we've contrasted a lot between you know open development and early access and all this other kind of stuff, um, and and you know there's overlaps between these models. So is it is it completely unreasonable for them to say, look, the thing that the early backers wanted, the Squadron Forty Two, the Wing Commander successor, is a more traditional first person sort of adventure. There's a narrative. There's a storyline that can be spoiled. Um, so it may, doesn't it make more sense to say everybody out of the building, we're not going to give any tours because we're putting the stuff together and we don't want people being crushed by drywall and stuff. So everybody out, we will have the 10 story building with the rooms finished by date X, which we all know here means date X plus 30 or 60 or 90 days. But by date X, um, <laughs> we'll, we'll have, we'll have that. Uh, and so we're taking care of the early guys first. Uh, and once they're satisfied, we'll move on to the later people. Is, th- is that an unreasonable thing for them to do at this stage? No, it's not unreasonable as long as they have shown that they can, in fact, deliver what they promised to the early people. And at this point in time, there's no such indication. That's the problem. It's one thing okay. you standing, you can be standing in front of the building and saying, yes, there's no roof, but one floor is done, but don't you worry I promised to get you a 10-story building, or, well, a room in a 10-story building two years ago, but right now I know you're looking at a, you know, a, a one-story you know, building and you only have access to the garage, but it's coming. If there's no indication, when you look at the, and let's go back to the, to, to the limo guy. When the limo, limo guy says, okay, give me your, your building materials or show me your architectural plans, right? And the building guy takes a look at it and says, well, 
Plumbing's not in, lighting's not in, yeah. the wrong solar panels, uh, the driveway isn't paved, the room has no, no light sockets. How exactly are you planning on right. giving me an early backer no, what I, you're indicating? Right. I, 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 this, is, this is a great line of, 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 of inquiry here, but the, the idea is that the, the limo guy asked for data, and then in, in our little analogy that we're using here, the creator gave it to him. Now, in our, and we had an earlier discussion just not long ago, is there a duty for that creator to give the limo guy any of his plans? I mean, is that, is, is that, is that, and again, we can separate the whole legal contract thing versus the moral what you should do thing, but is there some sort of obligation on the part of the creator at any stage after the creator says, oh, don't worry, we'll get it done, does he have to hand over those plans? No, he does not. Okay, I mean, so, so I mean, there may not be a reason for the limo guy to say, let me see, and then and then be upset because he hasn't ordered enough rebar and hasn't ordered enough, uh, you know, siding and, and, and drywall and, and conduit. I mean, we don't, honestly, I mean, and, and this is, I, uh, we've called this a problem on our show too, there is no governing body or mechanism or board of directors or outside ombudsman or something that can tell people, no, that we, we've got to take a look at something. And I'm, and it, but what your line of questioning and your line of reasoning seems to think that there should be. Is, is that a fair thing to say? It is, but I'll do you one better. Okay. Everything you just said makes perfect sense. And in, in, in a perfect world, that's the way it would be. But it comes down to two things, honesty and accountability. Okay? Sure. Now, if the builder has a habit of not being forthcoming, there's absolutely no incentive for Mr. Limo guy to believe him. That's the okay. only reason why Mr. Limo guy will say, fine, let me see how you're going to be doing this. Now, bear in mind, I don't believe Mr. Limo guy will be asking the builder for his architectural plans because let's face it, again, analogies can only go so far. Sure. But what what the limo guy, what the, 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 the builder, the obligation the builder has the limo guy remains the same. It remains constant. It remains consistent. It's show me what you've done with my money and what you're going to do to make sure you give me what I what I paid for. How you choose to do that is entirely up to you. I can't force it because there's no governing body that can that can compel you to show me how you intend on holding your end of the bargain. After all, I've given you my money. Right. I mean, yeah, you've you've given up your strings. Correct. Yeah. So, which is which goes back to what we said earlier, you know, in, in this discussion, whereby as long as the backer slash limo guy has no cards, the builder can do what he wants, pretty much. Yeah, as a practical matter, that's that's true. But your argument is that there is a a if not a legal duty, a moral duty at some point. Uh, to to be accommodating with these requests for let's take a look at how much rebar you've ordered let's take a look at uh, how much concrete you've ordered do you have the tools at this time to have a prayer of delivering a minimum viable building <laughs> to to yeah, them it's better than that let's go back to the star citizen part of things and the mvp which is what we're, we're talking about right let me tell you why it goes beyond what you just said if if the creator and the investor slash backer are, they were sitting at a table, throwing out the plans on a napkin, on the exchange's hands, 
everything was fine at the time. And now you have a situation where if you know, things start to fall apart, the onus is on the builder to ensure that morally he accommodates the you know, backer slash investor. But if they had a piece of paper, which the creator in this case, the IG said, well, if you give me this, I'm going to build this. And to make sure you're comfortable in giving me this amount of money, I'm going to do this, this, and this. So if it comes time where you've failed to do all the things you promised, now it's time for you to own up to the things that you used, let's say carrot, you know, carrot for, you know, carrot stick for, for example, it's up to you. It's up to the creator to say, okay, well, in this case, star citizen, you know, they said, well, if we don't deliver the game by so-and-so we will do, we will issue refunds. We'll tell you how the money was spent. Right. And, and so-and-so there's an actual calendar date. November, 2014. Okay. But then that date changed to May 31st, 2016. Okay. Which is, you know, Hey, that's pretty timely for this interview here. So, uh, and the difference is between a there was a terms of service change uh, yep. at, at at some point in the past, such that they gave February, them February twenty fifteen is when they changed right. it. They gave themselves a little extra time, uh, as 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 again as all listeners of the show know, everything they say gets you know plus sixty thirty ninety days whatever. So they gave themselves a little more time, and so that little more time that they gave themselves runs out by the time the show drops in about eight days. So what, uh, what, again, we're talking about the difference between legal and moral obligations. Does that moral obligation to be forthcoming, in your opinion, turn into more of a legal obligation to be forthcoming? It's both. Okay. I, 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 you know, a lot of people, you can still do what's morally right and still get sued. Sure. You can still <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you, can, you, you can still rely on somebody to do what's morally right and you can you still sue them so it's a combination of both and it goes back to what i said earlier it's all about building and regaining trust okay. uh, right now a lot of people think i hate these guys i don't my thing has been one simple thing only accountability okay and my position would be nobody's asking you for again going back to the building nobody's asking you for architectural plans Nobody's asking you for how the pipes are laid out. Nobody's asking you what set of plans you're going to put around the building. What your backers really want is what they thought they were entitled to in the first place. What they thought gave them, after giving you money, what they thought they had that would be their uh, carrot to hang on to, which they no longer have. That would be, if you don't give me what I paid for by such and such a date, either get my money back or I leave it in up to me right but you get to tell me how you spent my money so right. the, the more the moral thing to do would be to say okay fine look let's put it this way nobody's asking you know uh, uh, CIG or Chris Roberts to come out and say hey you know we screwed up blah blah we're gonna fix it nobody cares about that that's you know no amount of no amount of talking is gonna change the facts what needs to happen is how okay now you've you've messed up how you plan on fixing it and how you plan on making, you know, the investment term is how you plan on making the backers whole. The only way to do that, the only way to do that is by going back 
to what you said backers had, which would be financial accountability or the ability to pull out. And this is the offer I gave them uh, three months, you know, three, four months ago. I said, listen, it's very simple. Tell them anybody wants it, you know, you, you guys make N amount of dollars a month. You know, it's very easy to set up an escrow account. Anybody who wants out, they're, they're out. Anybody who wants in this day and nobody's saying give blanket refunds because that's not that that's that's just not possible. That's just right. not going to happen. And, and and let's and let's be let's be honest here. There there are a lot of people that even if they blow this next deadline, May thirty first, uh, and I and I can't speak for my fellow co-hosts, but I'm not real keen on asking for my money back really because I do want the project to succeed. So even if they blow this deadline, I'm I'm not going to be looking for a refund. But I. Uh, but I mean, they, this is a, a promise they put quote on paper, you know, in the electronic terms of service, that we could get a look at not the plans, but maybe some of the invoices. You ordered exactly. the rebar, you ordered yep. the drywall, you yep. ordered the concrete. Okay, okay, you know, that's this is we we see all this stuff now. Again, you know, a contract only is worth the paper it's written on. It's only worth the the the, the amount of trouble that you're willing to put into enforcing it, which was my problem with the NDAs last week. Yep. Why, why bother having it if you're not going to go to enforce it? Yep. What good it, What good is, and this is a question for you, what good is all of the, let's call it activism, agitation, uh, crusading even, let's all use the word crusading, what good is all the crusading if at the end of the day, really there's nothing you as an individual backer could do to pull the trigger to enforce that TOS? What good is it? to do all this well, stuff if there's nothing you can do there isn't because by okay. the same top by, by this by the same there's only two ways around it well not around it but there's only two ways to address it and it's the same way by the way i wrote a blog which touched on the same nda issues that i've had for a while now but only within the scope of the you know the the tos in its entirety why would you lock a build behind an nda unless you intended to enforce it by the right. same token why would you write up a TOS unless you intended to uphold it? And they uphold it when they, they, they banned people. You know, I got sure. banned, my account got closed, so they had a TOS. They enforced it. There's nothing I can do about it, is there? But by the same token, there's lots and lots and lots of case law that says one party cannot unilaterally change a contract, whether it's a TOS, whether it's a building contract, yeah. whether it's a lease. There's no, l- there, no seriously, you're right. There's, no, no, there's uh, lots you're, of them. There's, no, I know you're talking to an attorney. You're talking to an oh, attorney. Right. There, but, there you go. Yeah, but, people, but go ahead. Sorry, yeah, no, go ahead. I was just, oh, sorry. But I mean, the the flip side of that is, is that you know, uh, it's it's called an adhesion contract because you can't download the new module without agreeing to the new terms of service. I mean, that is correct. You you did agree to the new terms of service when you downloaded the new module at some point. So that 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 you. Again, if it, if, whether it was fair or otherwise, you did agree to give CIG that extension from November 2014 to May 2016 uh, at some point if you continue to download the product. Now, there may be some people out there that haven't downloaded Star Citizen, never got into Arena Commander, or never haven't touched the thing since uh, you know prior to the TOS change. There may still be some people whose due date was November 14, possibly. Unlikely, but possible. But 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 regardless of what the actual date was, that date holds some significance. But unless there's backers who are going to do something to call CIG to account, is there any upside 
to making a huge deal about this. Is there, I mean, is there any upside to, to blowing blowing the horn and, and shouting from the rooftops when really it's unlikely anyone's going to do anything on May, May on May thirty first? Well, here's the thing. That's a very good question. I want to go back to the the aspect about you know some people. I can tell you right now we have a database of thirty seven people who never agreed to TRS one point two. So they do exist. Okay. Yeah. All it takes is one. Okay. And I'll give an example. Uh, me, they know. Even though which started this whole fight was when they tried to make it look like I had somehow violated the TOS, and I know for a fact that I hadn't because a I had never downloaded the Hangar Arena Commander, I never played the okay. game, didn't because you know, nothing at all. Right. But they went out, they put it out there. That's why I got my attorneys involved, and they quickly went back and said, "Nope, he, you know, he didn't." Blah blah blah. So sure. I was one. Of, I was one of those people. All it takes is one. But back to your question about. You know, screaming to the rafters, blah, blah. You're an attorney. You and I, you, you know, just because something, just because you can't do something about about one thing doesn't mean you have to stand stand back and fold your arms and wait for somebody else to make the first step. And no. this is, the, the and a lot of people don't seem to understand that the only reason I'm involved in this is because they made it personal. All I did was write a technical blog. It would never have gone beyond that. But they made an example out of me i took that as a personal attack and okay. i never saw a war i never i didn't want to fight you know i'm the guy <laughs> you know i'm, I'm leroy jenkins all uh, day long got it all right <laughs> <laughs> yes I, it's true i know I, you know I'm, I'm laughing but i mean it's uh i i call it a justice button some people have it and if they see something that's not right it doesn't matter what anybody else's, what any other perspective is on from other people. They feel it's, it's, they have some sort of obligation to address the issue. You know, what really burns me about the whole thing, really, from Tell my me. perspective. What What's really that? burns me is I'm a software developer. I've made mistakes. I screwed up. I haven't been in this situation because I don't, you know, I'm, I sleep good at night knowing I don't owe half a million dollars. You know, I don't owe half a million people any accountability or money or $113 million. But by the same token, as a developer who's been through a lot of challenges, I've, you know, I've had, you know, a product fail. I've had, you know, uh, issues with publishers. I've had issues with gamers. You know, we all have our challenges. I understand what they're going through. But by the same token, you know, somebody would say, well, who are you? You know, they say, you know, he who's without fault, you know, cast the first stone. stone. But that's not what this is about. This is not about casting the first stone. This is not about, you know, getting back to somebody because they said something mean. I mean, people say mean things to me all the time. You know, mm -hmm. I don't go writing, you know, I don't spend my time writing one blog each month to tell them how they screwed up and all. I don't, I just don't do that. You know, I get in, I start, I engage in discourse. It runs this course. I move on to the next thing. This particular issue is near and dear to me simply because I spent a lifetime in this genre and because there because of the lack of accountability i don't know if it's going to fail i don't know if it's going to succeed and i simply don't care what i care about is that there's a lot of money involved in the project that has the potential to hurt the genre that i spent an entire lifetime building games in it goes back to the reason why i funded the game back in 2012. Nobody else was building this kind of games at the AAA quality level. If but, if this doesn't succeed, that's not going to happen for I, a very long time. 
I would like to ask you. I could be dead by then. No, I would like to ask you. I'd like to I'd like to point at Mass Effect Andromeda. I'd like to point at the new uh, Call of Duty. Yes. Uh, You know, I mean, it seems like that not only is the space quote space sim. These maybe not be technically space sims, but those sort of sci-fi adventures that include fighter planes and capital ships and first person. Seems like they're kind of really popular now. It seems like it's back. The genre, the genre being popular, is completely different from the games within the genre. It's just like saying, well, you know, Doom is a first-person shooter. Well, so is Call of Duty. Does that mean because you know Doom and Call of Duty exist within the same genre, they're the same game? No. You know, Wing Commander, Freelancer, Free Space, Elite Dangerous—all those games. The only thing they had in common was the genre, but they were all different kind of games. If let's put it this way, if any other person, well, we've seen this. Look, you know, sure. Battlescape didn't, you know, they barely raised the three hundred thousand dollars they were asking for, and that's a very good game. That's an independent developer making that game. If right. anybody had come out and said in twenty twelve, we're gonna make Free Space Two, I can hundred or, or or you know Free Space Two or the next X game, you know X Reborn or X whatever they want to call it or any other game. They would never have gotten one hundred thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars to do it, ever. Sure. No, I, no, I agree with you. But is it is it more damaging to the if, if Star Citizen and, and the CIG sort of crowdfunding and uh, uh, you know phenomenon doesn't it fails? So let's just for the sake of argument, let's say it fails and fails spectacularly. Is that a real threat to the space sim genre now in twenty sixteen when all these other games are like off and running, or is it a threat to the crowdfunding model? Is which one is it more of a threat to? I think it's more of a threat to the crowdfunding model because, again, that the whole crowdfunding with all the spectacular failures we read about all the time is already taking a huge hit. And a hit this large will have you know, far-reaching implications and long-term ramifications and people that you know, are willing to sit down and think about. So that's the crowdfunding side of things. On the space combat genre side of things, yeah, I mean... You have Mass Effect coming out, a whole bunch of other games coming out. You have games in the genre. People were saying that you know uh, 2D games were gone, but people some someone's still making them. RPG games were gone, and then they were back. The genre will pick up again. That is not the point. The point people keep missing is very simple. Nobody is going to put this kind of money to build that kind of game again. This was one person who had the chance to do it. And whether, I mean, everything is a gamble. There was no, listen, even if, even if they delivered in November 2014, there's no guarantee that the game would have succeeded. It could have sucked, right? Or it could have been, it could have been spectacular. Those are the risks we would take. And that's what I was saying earlier, that as a developer, people don't seem to understand that I know what they're going through. It, because it's, we've all been there. But that is not the issue. The issue here is, the same way we as developers did not want to be held uh, accountable, you know, or to deal with publishers and, you know, somebody comes out and, you know, completely upsets the, the apple cart and rallies an entire army to give him money because, quote unquote, no publishers involved. We're going to do a thing our way, blah, blah. And then guess what happens? Project is late. Not up to to par to what it was promised. It's nowhere near what was promised. And all of a sudden, all the things that publishers would have gotten a grip on 
that backers don't have that grip on is what's, in my opinion, again, causing the game to, you know, go down a road that a lot of people aren't comfortable with, you know. And I, I mentioned this today on, on social media. I said if this game was, you know, was with a publisher and a producer, you know, came in and saw the latest 2.4, they would cancel it. You know, I've, I've been chatting with my friends on social media, you know, for quite a while about this. A lot of these guys are AAA guys, P- producers, you know, uh, uh, at publishers, in, 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 in independent publishers, you know, it boggles the mind. But that's really, for me, without, you know, by taking the personal side of, you know, side of it out of the equation is, when you gain the trust of so many people, okay, nobody, again, nobody is expecting them to come out and say, hey, you know what, beg for forgiveness, you know, train hand, blah, blah, right. none, none of that. All we're, all we're saying is, show some good faith you know you need to be able to see the good things in people because all the people who put in 114,000 114 million dollars in this project obviously did it because they had some faith right so what why not do the right thing and say okay fine we missed it it's two years okay we don't have the money to give everybody a refund but we can't do two things. We can't do refunds because we've spent the money or we need the money to finish the game. But this is how your money is spent. Show some good faith. Sure. But right. right now, there's no good faith. It's just, you know, just listen, just right. changing, right. just arbitrarily changing the terms of condition, uh, terms right. of service to give yourself an additional six months. I'm totally with you on the whole hoist on your own petard thing. I don't need to belabor the point. That is, that's what we're faced with right now. And as, as an attorney, as you said, what's the recourse? You know, you know, nobody, you know, a lot of people would, would say, well, what are you getting out of this? I mean, it's not about what I'm getting out of it. The thing is, I'm so committed right now. There's absolutely no way I'm going to stop. Yeah, the the dog and the bone thing that that worked for me. I, but I, it's, I, yeah, I it's it. not. But it's not just that. It's not just the dog with the bone. It's about somebody walking to the doghouse, throwing a bunch of bones in. I chew that one, and then they, they put an entire bag outside the front door. You're gonna follow the trail of bones. Of course, that, that's that's gonna happen. I, and I, I, your 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 point is well taken. I just the 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 tension I think between. Uh, and it's this is this goes back to our very first uh, episode where we addressed your your the stuff back in July or August of last year. It's that yep. you've got excellent points. You 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 the, the, there are there are things that you say that not only uh, 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 require uh, investigation but demand investigation and attention. And that's and that's good. I just the 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 problem that I think and, and it's gotten better. I'll tell you this. It's gotten better. Is that the the criticisms labeled at or, or leveled at, at CIG have been uh, at first a little scattered and contained a lot of things that were uh, you know uh, not exactly to the point. Questionable. We're now yeah, questionable. Yeah, questionable. Yeah, yeah. We are we yeah. are now down to the nub. We are now down to the nub of, of, of some things that just need to happen. And um, what I would like to and we're going to give you the last word on this right. topic. So, but what I would like to know is after May thirty first. 2016. There's going to be six months or seven months until you know the the announced release date, supposedly in 2016, of Squadron 42. Right. Is something going to happen? Uh, you know, do, do you anticipate something happening uh, uh, internally at CIG that will give us a signal that could give us a signal that it's going to be on track or that something's going to crash and burn? 
I can't comment on that. All right. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, Derek. And for now, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy. What's on your mind? We're all friendly. So let's just be friendly. Tom say he can't digest carrots, and that he once gave birth to a live rhino. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. Last week's community question, are NDAs necessary for maintaining the integrity of the process and the developer's intellectual property, or are they a holdover from the old way of doing things that has no place in open development? And you all had lots to say on the subject, so some of it's gone through the tldr inator but Elwick kicks us off with, I don't have a problem with the avocados and the NDA. For a week or so. I understand the process and the improved efficiency, but I would appreciate it if they gave us more details and pics. In standard PTU waves, they never hid the patch notes. In a business sense, their puppet master strategy works well. They starve us for a while, then hit us with new content and a surprise and watch the funding spike just fly on up. A steady trickle of info and updates would not realise the same financial success. That's my opinion as someone in retail. Bucha says the NDA is, unfortunately for the open development projects, still a necessity in the industry. Code, tech, art assets, design workflows, and several other intimate cogs on a project have ownership, and since most of these are digital, they are at risk of being used elsewhere without credit. At this level, the NDA protects dev houses, and more importantly, the trench devs from their work being stolen without fear of legal reprisal. What it sounds like is the point of contention is what else is being covered under NDA. Ann Tarker writes in and says, On the subject of CIG's use of the NDA, I believe that CIG are basically damned if they do and damned if they don't. If there is no NDA, no matter how many times they stress how the amount of bugs is expected, there will still be some trying to create drama about it. We have saw this previously. Sure, in a perfect world such as Open Development Project, wouldn't have people dramatically throwing their arms up at every change, or grabbing the pitchforks and rope. Instead, everyone would understand and appreciate the very nature of alpha development stages. Therefore, this stuff is missing, designs aren't set in stone, and is therefore subject to significant change. However, we don't live in that world. The last year of drama has shown us that there are parts of the internet that just aren't ready for that level of transparency and isn't willing to show much in the way of patience. They don't care about the difficulties that can occur during development. They want it now. So, the only thing CIG can do is at least try to keep a lid on some of the initial drama that occurs with an initial PTU rollout by imposing an NDA. Although, one could argue that such attempts are undermined by the fact that imposing an NDA creates its own drama. But, there you go. Amontillado says, no to both counts. NDAs are not necessary, but they can have a place in open development projects. I don't think anyone expects an open development project like Star Citizen, for example, to open its doors wide and allow the general public no holds barred access to their entire production. Some things need to be kept private, and there may come times when a few members of the community can help the project contingent to being granted access to sensitive information. In these cases, NDAs are appropriate. I think NDAs can have value even if there is no intention to sue the violators of them. Firstly, they communicate that the issuer means business. Hey folks, we're serious here, don't leak this. The signers know that they've signed an NDA and it may give them pause and cause them to tighten their lips. Secondly, an appropriate response to a violation may be to revoke the violator's access and never trust them with this level of access again. Addressing CRG's use of an NDA for the first wave of 2.4 testing, I'm on board in regards to the value of having a closed, dedicated, focused group of testers that are less costly and more efficient than the general backer population. 
CRG's criteria for inclusion seems to be on point and by reports it has gone very well. I'm less convinced that the NDA is necessary or beneficial. CIG's communication via its community team has been that the NDA is in place so that CIG can find the feedback all in one place. Really? Can they just simply instruct their testers that the only feedback that they will regard is via a designated official channel? Can't they just discipline themselves to only look there in regard to specific feedback? I find that explanation wanting. There should be a higher threshold of need slash benefit to institute an NDA in an open development project as there is a cost to the backer community. Sean Newboy writes in and says, Excellent show, everyone. Really loved the opening scene. As for NDA, I think it's an essential part of alphas and closed betas. It has no place at all in open betas. That said, with the open development nature of the crowdfunding games, including Star Citizen and Squadron 42, gets a bit fuzzy. Should a company that is making any crowdfunded item be secretive? Well, perhaps to people not contributing money, but certainly not inside the community. If you are still trying to get more money into the system, NBA should be used very sparingly, I would think. Meadex writes in and says, Great show as usual, guys. On NDAs, I don't have a super strong opinion, but I lean more towards them being okay and semi-necessary. But I see and agree with both sides as well. So, I'm really of two minds here. Seo says, great show guys and terrific opener. There are a lot of great answers here regarding the NDA, and I would only add that the NDA is not just for 2.4. The avocados may be used to test things in the future that may never make it into the game. For example, a system for crafting space pony saddles may be designed that CIG wants a known, dedicated and committed group to test for viability in the game. Likely, the avocados will reject such a clever system, and due to the NDA, no one will know that such a system was ever designed in a perfect world scenario. Thus, this protects CRG from backlash and creates a comfort zone to be able to test the crazy or controversial ideas before revealing them to the entitled backers. And in regards to the dev timeline for this game compared to other games, the horse has been beaten to an unrecognisable smear of goo. CRG is building a universe to rival Star Trek and Star Wars, both having been around for 30 plus years. They share what they share. Oh, look a squirrel. Arbiter51x says, I agree with the NDA for two reasons. One, to prevent trolls, griefers, and others with a smart agenda from spoiling a game for others by pointing out flaws in a game that's in early alpha stages. And two, I don't really like spoilers. I want to discover things on my own and from reading complete patch notes from the developer, not whispers and rumors from an incomplete build that is actively being changed before released to the community. Master JTS writes in and says, NDAs are important in this day and age of monetized YouTube channels because those in the early access group can make a lot of money off of those who didn't make the cut. It isn't fair and it is seen as CIG showing favor to its specific YouTube channels, which is something they should not be doing. And Getsageddon says, I disagree with it because they have made such a big deal about open development. The problem is how they respond to the criticism, and it's not a problem with the criticism itself. They leaked the first set of 2.4 notes and people were actually positive about them. I feel that this is especially dangerous given that CIG appears to be growing more insular and not hearing outside criticism. Think for a moment how many posts a week we get from people who think this is some kind of weird free-to-play game where you buy $500 ships. That should be a blaring red klaxon to their marketing department. But they seem entirely content with it. Oh, great feedback this week. Yes, guys. Uh, incredibly yeah. good feedback. Uh, it's a complicated issue, and I think that when we have, as Seo was saying, a way to get something out that they want a, the, the spaghetti on the wall. You know, it's like this, this, we're thinking it's going to work. You guys break it. And if it stinks, it never sees the light of day. That's fine. 
but I don't think we're in that stage here. We're still trying to get the basics put together. Do the controls work? Can you get into an elevator and the elevator goes? I mean, we're not to the crafting stage point here, so maybe an NDA would be appropriate in that stage of the game, but we know what they're trying to do with the mini PU. They're trying to make the basic pieces of the game work. I, I still think that in this instance, now if this was a published game with a publisher and under closed development, an NDA would be highly appropriate here in this. Even if you were a beta tester and you were part of a, a beta test group that had, had inner circles and outer circles and all kinds of different things. This is a, a totally different category. And the reason I keep bringing this up both in the, in the interview and here is that we need to realize, and everybody needs to realize, I think a lot of reaction has been the fact that they're still treating this as a published and developed game under normal circumstances. It's not. It's a crowdfunded open development platform. And the rules are different. And because the rules are different, I don't think an NDA applies at all here on any stage of the game. Now, once they become released and they've gotten out of the crowdfunding model and they have, you know, a test group, that's when the NDAs apply. Yeah, no, I, I again, I completely agree. I did think it was interesting the point that Master JTS brought up about uh, monetized YouTube channels and actually yeah. that is one thing that i never took into consideration and an nda would of course completely cut that down because you are signing to say that you will not give out any of that info and whilst i don't necessarily think that that's specifically cig's problem to tackle it does help to rein in the community a bit but that's a buyer beware kind of thing i that very much I, yeah and, and again i that kind of gets to what's the remedy right i mean the CIG can put down to you know put give a takedown notice or whatever. Hey, that's our copyrighted content. Yeah, that. But then it's exactly it. It is yeah, our copyrighted but, content. Yeah. But then they're singling out that guy, and they've got to monitor that stuff, and, and, yeah. and that that becomes kind of an administrative nightmare. Plus, again, what's the remedy? So you get the video taken down, but now what? Do you sue the guy? Well, I mean, no, you just get you it know. taken down. No, I, they, well, but, they, but then what do you do with the guy? What do you do with the guy that that broke the rules? Never invite. There's nothing back. you can do. I mean, that's, well, uh, no, that's uh, the Lenin, point. No, no, Lenin's thing. No, no, Lenin's point is where we're at. And you don't need an NDA for that. You can just basically, no, you true. can, yeah, you can just, terms as of part of the download. Yeah, as part of the download, you just heard of the terms of service. It's like, you agree not to share these things. And if you do, we revoke your access and you're, you go on our naughty list. You still get the game. Yeah. Your, yeah. your forum privileges aren't revoked. But you're you on the naughty list and you're never going to see our goodies ever again. Yeah. I also just also want to bring up a, the very last bit that we read out from Getzegeden, which is that a lot of people do still have this opinion that you buy like $500,000, $800,000 ships yeah. and it's a free-to-play game. And again, it's, it sounds so obvious when somebody points it out to you, but I am genuinely surprised that their marketing department have not done more to say that that's not actually the case. Because they don't want to break that illusion. Well, maybe, yeah. I mean, if people are coming to them willing to pay that kind yeah. of money for ships, then yeah. why would they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, a, you know, the same reason why they don't do some of these cross-chassis upgrades anymore that they used to do. It's the, oh, it's you, the whole idea. It still that, stings. It still oh, sting for yeah. you, Jeff. It, you, it, will sting, <laughs> it will sting for a very long time because they've they taken a product, a vapor product, and decided to put it in its own own special class that they don't do for any other other shit but that's a different situation a different topic you and me brother it's my it's my it's my connie hard points in your hot tub 
respect. I think so far I'm fine with most things. But this is this is the whole early backer, mid backer, late backer. But it, you know, it's, it is vapor. I mean, it, you're not guaranteed anything. You buying these ships doesn't give you the right to anything. Yeah, I think um, overall though, I think the general sentiment is that NDA good, open development good, NDA in open development. Yeah. <laughs> well, back in general feedback, Brickwall Goalie says regarding memorable deaths in sci-fi, Tony, you ignorant Fefe de Pion. How could you forget about poor Wash with the harpoon through his chest in a cockpit of Serenity? No, too that, soon. This, yeah, no, seriously, too soon. I, I don't frequently go back to movie theaters to watch movies twice. I went back to watch Serenity twice in the theaters when it came out, and that one, that hurt. That was that was a that was a painful death. That that was not good. Yeah, I think I blanked br- it out. You had to bring up one. Oh, leaf on the wind. Oh, damn you, Reapers. <laughs> and just just for reference that we know who to like hate on later brickwall goalie is actually otherwise known as our audience engineer mikey so thanks mikey yeah look forward to some 45 minute segments coming your way and gg henry says love your podcasts the intro was especially hilarious because of the one dude who did not want to get into character at all as always i turn off these shows when you begin talking about other games but nevertheless thank you for all your efforts and keep them coming Okay, two things. <laughs> Jeff was so in character, he didn't get into character. That was, yeah. That was a specific direction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's specific direction. We, You know, it's those it's those terrible old movies where they really do pull a guy off the factory floor who's not an actor. and Give him a paper to read and, and you can hear it, yeah. In <laughs> fact, if, yeah. You, if you were watching this radio broadcast, it would have had a little subtitle that said, not an actor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, it, why turn it off when we talk about other games, you know? Dude, we're just as smart about the other games We're and just as funny. You really should listen to the whole thing. Yeah, I'm wondering which game he supports. I'm presuming Star Citizen. Oh, he, he turns it off when we talk about other uh, when we talk about Star Citizen. He you know, listens for Elite Dangerous. You're probably right. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I bet that. I bet that's what it is. I bet that's. He what could it be is. a huge Everspace fan, and he, might he only gets a bullet point in news we didn't use once every three weeks. But that, loves I bet the that's show what otherwise. It is. Yeah, that's yeah, probably what it is. I bet so. He's in it for the Squawk Box and the sketches and the intro, the award-winning intro. The, it's a, yes, it's a tight intro, guys. It's a tight intro. It's really good. And our new Patreon this week is Eric, with no last name. And the winners of a brand new patch are Eric, with no last name. Coincidence? Back today and find out. And this week's community question. Um, well? Let us know your thoughts. Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post over on our show thread at guardfrequency.com. So how was the show? Was it uh, worth getting in early for that golden ticket, or do you think this is going to be ripe for a case of listener's remorse? Either way, let us know. Here's how you can get in touch with us. Why not leave a comment on this show's post over at GuardFrequency.com? Or hit us up on Twitter, at GuardFreak. And leave a comment and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. If you're old school like us, you can always shoot us an email to squawk at godfrequency.com. You can also use the contact form on our website. All the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 121 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 122 on May 31st, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over our website, guardfrequency.com. 
But that's not all. You can also subscribe to our shows at feeds.guardfrequency.com or by searching for us on iTunes. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, you can always join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. Do you like what we do? Do you want to come and help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, drop us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And you can also support the show by visiting our website, clicking on the Patreon logo, and becoming a regular subscriber. For just $1.25, you'll get access to the raw recordings of our live shows, as well as being entered into a weekly draw to win some Guard Frequency goodies. We want to thank all of our Patreons who support us with their subscriptions week on week, and we hope that you consider making a regular contribution, because the more support we get, the better show we can make. Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? We're active in most space sims and would love to have you join us. Check out our website, look under the call sign section for details of how you can fly with us. And don't forget about our sister production, Priority One. They cover all things Star Trek, from the TV series to the MMO, the novels, the movies, and everything in between. Be sure to check them out at PriorityOnePodcast.com. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, and our artist, Ben Sanders and Simon Charlton Edwards, and our staff writers, Jace Pintad and Kin Shadow, our producer, Jeff Grant, and of course, our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. And a special thanks to our guest, Derek Smart. A big shout out to our syndication partner, The Bass. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit RonaldJenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If there's no one listening out there, the deep black gets pretty long. Reduce thrust. should probably tell them what time we broadcast really i don't know how that bit got deleted uh okay for those okay, listeners who are going to be listening to this on the patreon recording uh basically there will, me be, and Tony, no, there will be there will be no patreon recording there won't be because it's it's this one isn't it for those yes. listeners that are never going to hear this that's right and tony that was two words i knew you couldn't stick with one. yes um um no um is a is a is a thinking word it's one of those uh, words that, you know, it's, it's still not a word. word not a word it's still a word, not a word. you can not write word. it out you can use it in a story you can <laughs> not a not a word not a word and a spank <clears throat> and a, a special spanks? thanks to our make some good radio here we are making good radio as Lenin changes some letters, sitting on the dock of the bay. Okay, we're done. <laughs>